Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. By transcription. I'm going to see this house put back in order. And I'm going to keep this nation in the best order I can. They elected me president, and by all that's holy, I'm going to act as a president. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold, and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. This week's Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. But first, a word about our purpose in presenting this series. To Americans, there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of the lives of the men who became presidents of the United States. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind, sources of inspiration and courage to young and old alike. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their presidents, the men who became the leaders of their country. The American Broadcasting Company takes listeners behind the White House reception rooms and ballrooms, glittering with gold braid and famous personalities, into the privacy of the breakfast room and study, where presidents are shown as individuals with human doubts, laughter, love, and faith. Mr. President is true biography. Listen now and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Here's a story that happened in Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. It was inauguration day, and the president-elect, dressed and ready for the great occasion, sat in the bedroom of the retiring president, who was making himself ready. I won't be long now. Just a few minutes longer. 
Don't get impatient, my boy. Oh, I'm not impatient, sir. I'm just worried about whether you're able to go with me to the inauguration. After all, you're rising from a sick bed. Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right, I tell you. <laughs> Wouldn't miss this day for anything. Want to see their faces when you take the oath. Thought we couldn't pull it off, didn't they? Didn't believe me when I said you'd be president of the United States. I wouldn't be if it wasn't for you. Uh, you got good stuff in you. How do you feel? Stomach curdling on you? <laughs> uh, a little, I suppose. I wonder if any president will ever get up to take that oath without feeling as though he'd swallowed a whole hornet's nest. <laughs> I doubt it. After all, it's the climax of a man's life. Well, it's the climax of a man's political career, but uh, not the climax of a life. It's hardly that. What would you say was the climax of your life? Well, the day my lady put her hand in mine, said, it's you and I together now for all the days we live. When she left me, I laid her to sleep and knelt beside her grave. I knew that the best of my life was over. Yes. I know how you felt I know because I felt that way, too. Of course you did. So, a widower is followed by a widower in the executive mansion. Well, you'd be lonely here. No you say anything else. You'd be lonely. I've been lonely for a long time. I've learned to cope with it. Well, it's a different kind of loneliness. You sit here alone, one man, president of the United States. You sit here... Presumably because the people loved you, elected you. Once they've elected you, they expect miracles of you. You're no longer one of them. You're set apart. The one they turn to. There's no one in the world for you to turn to but Almighty God. I'm glad you're staying on with me for a time. It's more than gracious and generous of you. Like leaving a business to a son. I want to see you launch properly. Then it's up to you. Well, come on. The people are waiting, Mr. President. Well, it's quite a party, isn't it, uh, Mr. President? Yes, it's quite a party, Mr. Secretary of State. And how does the title sound to you? Very good. How about yours? I can't get used to it yet. People keep addressing me and I don't answer. What's the first thing on your agenda? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, go over the executive mansion from attic to cellar. From all I've been able to see, the house is in unbelievable disrepair. Well, do you plan to live there with your sons without a presiding lady, Mr. President? Oh, no, no. My son Abraham is getting married very shortly. He's going to bring his bride to the executive mansion to preside for me. That's one reason I'm very anxious to see that everything is in order. You know, you're coming into office at a very interesting time, Mr. President. The river steamboats are opening up new sections of country. Railroad is expanding. The nation is growing out in all directions. Yes, an interesting time, but a troubled time. I'm afraid our banking system isn't all it should be. You know, there's trouble hey, coming. are you two going to stay off in the corner all night solving the affairs of the nation? Or are you going to circulate and give people a chance to shake hands with a new president? <laughs> of course we're going to circulate, Senator. We got so deep in conversation, we forgot we, where we were. Well, come along. There's a lot of people that want to talk to you. Oh, incidentally, Senator, 
Can you spare the time in the morning to go over the executive mansion with me? I want to see what repairs are needed. I certainly can. What time shall I come? Oh, how about nine o'clock? Nine o'clock it is. Now, come along and enjoy your inauguration ball. Confoundedly dusty. I don't think it's been dusted since Jefferson's time. Be careful of those rafters, Senator. Uh, don't bump your head. Uh, this house is in disgraceful condition. I can't imagine why the ex-president let things get in a state like this. Oh, now, it isn't his fault. Things just get worn out when they have as much wear as a house like this does. Well, it looks to me as though the whole house is going to have to be renovated. Clean and refurnished. Uh, can we get the money? Well, how much money do you think it'll take? Well, at least $25,000, perhaps a little more. Mm-hmm. Well, Congress will do a little screaming, but uh, I think we can get it. I wish the House and the free citizens of this country whose servant the President is... I wish the House and the citizens to say whether, in addition to the large sum of $100,000 salary, which he's entitled to receive for a single term of four years, whether they are disposed to maintain for his private accommodation a royal establishment at the cost of the nation. Will they longer feel inclined to support their chief servant in a palace as splendid as that of the Caesars, and as richly adorned as the proudest Asiatic mansion. Well, Mr. President, in taking my leave of you, I wish you good fortune and the guidance of the Almighty. Did you read what it says in the papers about me today? Yes, I read it. They want me impeached because I bought a new silver service and a billiard table. <laughs> yes, I read that. Mm, I don't think it's at all amusing, sir. Oh, nonsense. Of course you do. I paid for the billiard table and the silver service out of my own pocket. Yes, but the country is wincing over the $27,000 they had to pay out for the repairs to the house. Don't they understand that there has to be dignity and beauty and grace in this house? Well, is it uh, also true that you're dispensing with the weekly levees and not permitting the general public to come to the executive mansion at will? Yes, that's quite true. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I wish I'd had the courage to do it myself. Well, there's no use in having a house done over and then letting everyone come tramping through it and making it a mess again. So I agree with you. agree with you. But you're, uh, you're in for a rough sale. I know. I've been reading the newspapers. The trouble with this office is that no one even tries to understand your problems. Mm -hmm. The papers say the banking crisis is my fault. Mm -hmm. Last year, they said it was my fault. Might as well get used to that. Whenever anything happens to the nation, it's always the president's fault. Well, I've been in politics a long time. None of this should come as a surprise to me, and yet it's different when it happens to you. One thing is certain, though. I am not going to let the newspapers, the Congress, the bankers, or anything else throw me off my course. I'm going to see this house put back in order, and I'm going to keep the nation in the best order I can. They elected me president, and by all that's holy, I'm going to act as a president. 
They elect the man president, and then they want him to kowtow to the newspapers, kowtow to the politicians, kowtow to Congress, kowtow to... They certainly do. But uh, I didn't do it. You aren't going to do it. But you know something? You'll get by with a lot more than I did with the newspapers and the people. Because you're a born diplomat. Diplomacy just never was my cup of tea. Mm. I won't do better than you did, sir. You had something that I will never have. Mm -hmm. What's that? The genuine love of the people. Oh, you'll have that too in time. You may not read it in the newspapers, but you'll find it out when you go around the country a little bit. Goodbye. Let me know if you need me. I'll do that, sir. And thank you. Thank you for all that you've taught me over many years. And thank you for this office that I hold today. Without you, it would never have been mine. I didn't do you a favor, my boy. I did the nation a favor. Bye. Keep your eye on that uh, banking situation. Trouble coming. I will, sir. Keep well. And God bless you. <laughs> Now, Mr. President, to sum up the state of the nation, we... we now, Mr. Secretary, can I get you another blanket to put around you? I have, I have three around me now. The wind goes right through them. I can't understand how a house can be so cold. We're practically sitting in the fireplace. I've actually burned the soles of my shoes. Well, Mr. Secretary, unfortunately, in this house uh, that the newspapers considered too elegant for repair, there is no effective heating system. The wind blows down the corridors like it would in a mountain pass. I put screens in front of the doors every place I could in order to break the drought, but it, it doesn't do much good. I've had a cold ever since I took the office of Secretary of State. I don't know why you're not in your deathbed by now. Do you suppose that's why Congress won't do anything else about the house? Do you suppose this is a new form of murder? Shut the president up in the executive mansion and freeze him to death? With luck, they may kill off our entire party that way. <laughs> do you know... I had the furniture appraised in the stateroom where I'm supposed to receive the envoys of the foreign nations today. How much was it worth? Five dollars. They overestimated it. They better look again. Well, let's get on with your report on the state of the nation. It's almost midnight. Well, the nation is the victim of speculation in public lands. Too many of the state banks are corrupt, and they've been speculating with government money. It has to end up in complete panic. There's no way now to stem the tide. Well, there must be. There has to be. Uh, who is that at this hour? I'll go. Oh, oh, confounded. I'm so bundled up, I can't get out of this chair. You stay there in your swaddling clothes, and I'll see to the door. Good evening, Mr. President. Jim, well, come in, come in, won't you? It's the Secretary of the Treasury, Charles. If a few more of you drop in, we'll have a complete cabinet meeting. We're going to need one, Mr. President. Word just came. One of the New York banks failed yesterday, and I'm told that at a meeting that would have taken place today, all the New York banks were going to agree among themselves to suspend all payment in specie. No. Has it happened, Jim? Yes. There's complete panic in New York. Ninety-eight business houses have gone bankrupt there. Well, that you know already. But land that sold seven months ago for $480 a lot can now be bought for $50. Sounds like the beginning of the end. No, it isn't the end or the beginning of the end. We're not going to submerge and drown in a panic. This nation has weathered crises before, and we're going to weather this one. <laughs> 
The people are saying, why doesn't the president do something? Well, the president is going to do something, Jim. Don't you worry. The president is going to do something. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. The National Safety Council reports that highway accidents are being reduced and lives being saved, but they're still a national problem. The major causes of traffic casualties are speed, drink, and carelessness. Driving too fast for road conditions is one of the most common causes of traffic accidents. Next to speed, driving on the wrong side of the road was reported as the most frequent driver violation of common sense in the safety laws. And one-fourth of the fatal accidents involve a driver or pedestrian who has been drinking. Take the responsibility on yourself and urge safety precautions in your community. Every motorist and every pedestrian should obey traffic signs and signals. Never drive after drinking. Never drive on the wrong side of the road. Watch for warnings on grade crossings. Be alert and careful every moment you're behind the wheel. The life you save may be your own. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen in Washington just a few years ago. With the closing of the banks in New York, panic swept the land. Businesses were failing, and a storm of accusations and abuse were directed against the administration. The times were dangerous, and no man in all the land knew it better than the quiet, worried man who sat in the executive mansion. And in the midst of it all, his son brought home the bride, who was to be the presiding lady of the land. Mr. President, I can't tell you how proud and how honored I feel to be invited here by you. Angelica, I feel that my son is a lucky man to have won you, and I am most fortunate indeed to have you for a daughter. Thank you. Isn't she beautiful, Father? Turn around, Angelica. Let him get a good look at you. <laughs> hey. My dear, when a man has acquired a treasure, it is natural to want to display it. Your rooms are ready and waiting for you. I've done my best to make them comfortable. I hope you enjoy them. Yes, we read in the papers about what you were doing to the house. Uh, I'm afraid I wasn't able to do half that was necessary. Are things really as bad as the papers are saying, Father? Uh, they're pretty bad. What are you doing about them? You read the papers, don't you, son? The papers say you aren't doing anything. Mm, they're quite correct. Why, well, I, I don't understand you, Father. Son, a lot of people are trying to do a lot of political maneuvering right now. And I don't intend to be taken in by it. Sometimes the best action is no action at all. But you can't just sit and let things fall apart all around you. My boy, I didn't say I had no plans. I simply said that sometimes the best action is no action at all. I have plans, all right. Very definite plans. As a matter of fact, the Secretary of the Treasury and the Secretary of State will be here to talk about them within the hour. Jim, I have studied this whole situation very carefully, and I know beyond all doubt that the economic pinch we find ourselves in now has been caused by one thing only, 
Corrupt state banks speculating with government-deposited money. We agree on that, Mr. President. We certainly do. I also believe that the practice of those banks not only caused the panic and the depression, but they also are preventing a recovery. Now, what I want to propose is an act that I have named the Sub-Treasury Act. I want to establish the Treasury Department as a national bank. And in that bank, the government bouillon will be kept. And all payments to and from the government will be through that bank. That certainly should provide stabilization. It certainly should. As Secretary of the Treasury, I certainly am in favor of that. I am too, Mr. President. But it won't be easy to get a bill like that passed. And what's more, Congress isn't in session. I'm going to call an extra session of Congress. We've got to get this system in operation. Mr. President. Oh, it's you, Angelica. Mr. President, it's three in the morning. Aren't you going to get any sleep? Well, I'll try to. No, I've been sitting here thinking of all those people out there beyond my windows. And I've been cold to the very marrow of my bones. I know now what the ex-president meant when he spoke of the aloneness and the coldness. Here you are. One man. And the people are frightened and hungry and lost. They want help. And where are you going to get it for them? What can one man do alone when all men doubt him? What did the former president say? He said the only person that could help was Almighty God. Then put your faith in God, Mr. President, and do the best you can. It's all that anyone can do. If Congress will pass the Sub-Treasury Act, then there's hope again. If they won't, oh, I can't even bear to think of what might follow. Angelica, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the former president's advice and your advice. I'm going to my room and pray to Almighty God for help. That act must pass. Dear God in heaven, it must pass. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. Mr. President, it's certainly good to see you in such happy spirits. Well, things look much brighter to me today, Mr. Secretary. Did you read what happened in Philadelphia? No. Did they lynch me in effigy? Let me read you just a part of what it says here. Now, listen. Thousands of Philadelphians have gathered to adopt resolutions approving the course of the administration. They think the president is right in refusing to issue paper. The resolutions in commending the administration say, we hereby pledge our lives, if necessary, for the support of the same. May I... may I see that? Yes, of course, Mr. President. He told me about the aloneness of the office. But one thing the old president forgot to tell me was... What was that, sir? The almost unbearable joy when you discover you're not alone. Yes? 
You sent for me, Father? Oh, yes, my son. Come in, won't you? How is Angelica this morning? Oh, she's fine, Father. She's down supervising the construction of something or other. There's so much going on in this house, I can hardly keep track of it. <laughs> well, things are certainly improving. I haven't had a cold in weeks. And not all the people look with disfavor on the improvements in the executive mansion, Mr. President. Well, truly, it seems to me this morning my cup runneth over. Well, there is work to be done. My son is going to deliver my message to Congress for me, Mr. Secretary. He's a fine speaker, and I know he'll do a splendid job of it. Yes, I'm sure he will. I'll do my best. You know, I, I would like to read you an excerpt from the message to Congress, Mr. Secretary. I'd like your opinion. Mm-hmm. All communities are apt to look to the government far too much, especially at periods of sudden embarrassments and distress. But this ought not to be. The framers of our excellent Constitution wisely judged that the less government interferes with private pursuits, the better for general prosperity. It is not its legitimate object to make men rich or to repair losses not incurred in the public service. This would be substantially to use the property of some for the benefit of others. But its real duty... That duty, the performance of which makes a good government the most precious of human blessings, is to enact and enforce a system of general laws commensurate with, but not exceeding, the objects of its establishment, and to leave every citizen and every interest to reap under its benign protection the rewards of virtue, industry, and prudence. Mr. President, I think that's very well said indeed. I should like to compliment you on it. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that, Mr. Secretary. Now then, regarding the failure of the banks and their inability to honor their government drafts in gold, I have said this. A system which can, in time of profound peace, in which there is a large revenue laid by, thus suddenly prevent the application and the use of the money of the people in the manner and for the objects they have directed, cannot be wise. Who can think without painful reflection that under it the same unforeseen events might have befallen us in the midst of a war? To such embarrassments and to such dangers will this government be always exposed, whilst it takes the monies raised for and necessary to the public services. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't go through the whole message now, but that's the tone of it. All I hope is that when they've heard the message, Congress will see fit to pass the Sub-Treasury Act. I'm positive it's our only chance to stabilize ourselves and prevent any likelihood of a panic such as this one occurring again. Shall I go, Mr. President? No, I'm close, Angelica. I'll get it. Jim, what is the news from Congress? The sub-treasury bill has been lost in the House by a vote of 120 to 106. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. The Congress, however, has passed two of the recommendations you made in that bill. Then we have a ledge to fight from. And now I'm going into action, Jim. I'll stump the nation if necessary. This isn't the victory I'd hoped for, but it is something of a victory. And from this small victory, I shall try to win a complete victory. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. 
It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. A person-to-person expression of international goodwill. That's the way many prominent people, including President Truman and General Eisenhower, have described CARE, the agency that sends needed food packages overseas. CARE offers food and clothing packages which provide more per dollar than individuals can send any other way. Each food package is designed to supplement the rations of a family of four for one month. Orders placed in the United States are air-mailed to designated countries, and deliveries are made from local care warehouses. Signed receipts are mailed back to the purchaser in the States. Sending a package overseas through care is one of the surest ways to help people in Europe who still suffer from lack of food and proper clothing. If you'd like to order a care package, just send $10 to Care New York. Now back to Mr. President. Mr. President, it's good to see you after your long trip. Well, it's good to see you, Mr. Secretary. I don't know how much uh, good I actually accomplished with my trip, but I do know I made the people better acquainted with the problems of the nation and the problems of the Treasury. I think you've accomplished a good deal. The country's recovering from the panic. Some of the newspapers have stopped attacking everything you do in the executive mansion. Many of them have even fallen in line with your financial policies. I think you've made great progress. I hope so. I sincerely hope so. And whatever happens to the Sub-Treasury Act, I'm sure that in time a great many of the reforms you've fought for will be put into effect. And history will realize that one of the men who put up a brave fight against almost overwhelming odds for a stable currency was the man his own generation called the Little Magician, President Martin Van Buren. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This program is produced and directed by Joe Graham. Edward Arnold can currently be seen in the MGM picture, Annie, Get Your Gun. Heard with Mr. Arnold in today's cast were Carl Swenson, Arnold Moss, Bill Adams, Helen Warno, and your narrator, Jackson Beck. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by Gene Holloway. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Martin Van Buren. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edwin Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. The preceding program was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.